Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Hello, Herstory heroes, and welcome to another episode of Whining About Herstory, a podcast where two longtime gal pals chug some wine and chat about history, particularly women, that you may not have heard of before. And this month, we're focusing particularly on the LGBTQ plus community. So strap in and strap on. I'm Kelly. I'm making vagina licking faces at Kelly when she's trying to do her <laughs> intro and I'm being very distracting. Please I'm throwing Emily. me off. <laughs> it was no, we do we do a countdown and like I hit two and I'm like eh. <laughs> I'm trying not to laugh so I don't ruin her silence for editing. Yeah. She Kelly's a fucking professional. You are a pro. I'm gonna I'm gonna show up to your work like and just sit in the corner during a meeting and like make idiot faces <laughs> and like rub my nipples and you know like. <laughs> and you're and you're gonna power through it because you're a goddamn professional. Hell yeah. All right. So as Kelly said, we are celebrating Pride and this is our second episode of Pride out of four. Yes, it is. And I'm super excited. My God, my story. I feel like I haven't had a six page story in a while, but this there was a lot. (laughs) The one I am probably doing next week will probably be a six or seven page story. And that was that was a recommendation. So I'll shout that out next week. But This one's only four. Only four. Only four. I feel, I think the longest story I ever did was nine pages. And that was a lomp de gouge, I think, in the beginning. Hers was, because I researched her for like, um, like almost two months, like way before we started the podcast. And I was, I was like, you were down the rabbit hole long before you were like, this is a thing. And then you were like, okay, this is a thing. Yeah. Like, and it was actually really good because I was like, okay, I have to stop. Because there's so much, and especially trying to wrap my head around, like, the French Revolution and the, like, you know, oh, who are these people? What did they stand for? What were their political ideas? You know, who was against them? Who are, you know, it, it, God, everyone's just being such right. a you learn, bitch. You learn to kind of curb your research to the important things, because otherwise our stories would, like, we could probably easily take an hour each. Dude, some of these women we could dedicate an entire podcast to. Oh yeah, but but the, these are your your gentle introductions into historical figures. There you go. All right. Well, I do have a say their name. Uh, we so have a say their well, name. we have well, a say their name. Mine, I suppose. Um. So our say their name is where we shout out uh, people who are doing cool things and being awesome. And for Pride, we are shouting out in particular LGBTQ plus. People, creators, podcasts, organizations. Last week, I shout out the Queer Fan Brigade, which, guys, you can totally still donate to. They're still doing the work on the ground in Minneapolis. Heck yeah. Support them on Venmo at Queer Fam hyphen Brigade. Check it out. Anyway, but our say their name this week is Your Queer Story, which is another history podcast focusing on LGBTQ plus history. So this podcast is hosted by Paul Hobbs and Evan Jones, who are both fucking amazing. And actually, we discovered them last year when we were doing Pride yep. because we were uh, we were doing our Say Their Names as people, like famous figures who we're never going to cover on this podcast because they're too famous. Yep. You probably didn't know are part of the LGBTQ plus community. And I think it was... Shit, it was that famous nurse. 
was it Clara Barton? Florence Nightingale. Florence Nightingale. Florence I think Nightingale. it was Florence Nightingale who was uh, asexual. Yep. And we learned that, and I was like, oh, I want to know more about yeah, that. And you wouldn't listen to their podcast, didn't you? I listened to their episode about it, which is really fascinating, but I also, when I just Googled, is Florence Nightingale asexual like their podcast was one of the first things that popped up and I started listening and they are amazing and they don't just cover figures they also cover historical events uh they also do a lot of work uh to support the LGBTQ plus community they have episodes about like how to deal with your homophobic family around the holidays right they also do um personal stories politics they they cover a little bit of everything yeah if it's if it's about the LGBTQ, sorry, LGBTQ plus community, history, culture, whatever, they're going to cover it. And they're really, uh, they're really dedicated to supporting the community even outside of the podcast. And we highly recommend you check them out. Uh, you can find them at Your Queer Story wherever you find podcasts. You can also find them at yourqueerstory.com. And then you can find them on Instagram at Your Queer Story. You can find them on Twitter, guys. You can find them on Facebook. Check them out. We follow them on everything. So if you follow us, you can always find them through us. I also like, I, I like and love everything they post on Facebook. And I... I don't think they know, like, oh, that chick has a women's history podcast or anything like I that. I once accidentally commented on something in, in under my personal Facebook instead of under our Facebook, and then I had to be like, oh, by the way. <laughs> I don't remember what, because it was, like, for hashtag history or something, yeah. and I had to, like, be like, oh, my bad, wrong account. This is Kelly from Whining About Her Story. But I feel like a stalker sometimes. Like, guys, I love you so much. I love everything you're doing. And that one thing you said in that one episode was really enlightening or really hilarious. And they're just like doing their thing, being amazing. Like, oh, cool. A fan. You do you, girl. And I'm just like, oh, my God. She is a stalker. Don't let her. Don't let her tell you. Guys. Otherwise. Guys, I'm way too lazy to be a stalker. Do you know how how much work goes into being a fucking stalker? You're a digital stalker. I'm a fan. (laughs) Okay. I support sure. them. But yeah, again, check out Your Queer Story wherever you listen to podcasts. Give them a five-star review. And while you're doing that, give us a five-star review. I'm just going to tack us on to that because you That's know great. what? Women got to look out for themselves. Women got to advocate for themselves. Who around the world? Us. <laughs> Woo! Woo! <laughs> One day. It's coming. Just wait. All right. Well, Kelly, you picked out our very sexy wine that made me belly laugh like a crazy person. Yeah. So it's called True Myth. It's a Cabernet Sauvignon by Paso Robles. And on the front, it says, her secret is patience. That is every woman's secret, (laughs) y'all. Which is apparently a Ralph, 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 Ralph Waldo Emerson quote, which the full quote is, Adopt the pace of nature. Her secret is patience. And honestly, that's super true because she has all the time in the world to wait for us to all just die and she can get back to business. Yeah. So I think True Myth is actually the winery. And this is their Cabernet Sauvignon. Oh, okay. Mainly because on the back it says www.truemythwinery.com. Oh, okay. I like that, though. And today, the true myth is that gender is binary. Boom! Dropping truth bombs. So here's what it says on the back. It actually has a really good one this time, because sometimes they don't. Yeah, sometimes they're just like, don't drink if you're a woman. 
I mean, in parentheses have, have while that. pregnant. It does have that too, but I have that covered up by my finger. Um, Mother Nature is intriguing and elusive, reigning with grace and beauty. There is no doubt that she is the one true myth. We respect her for the enigma that she is and honor her with this beautiful, smooth Cabernet Sauvignon loaded with blackberry, cherry cola flavors, and notes of caramelized oak. Taste and belief. Cherry cola? That's what it says. Oh my God, is this basically a cherry Coke that's going to get me drunk? No, it doesn't. At least it doesn't smell like that. Hold on, let me sniff it. Let me let me pretend I know what I'm doing as I swirl I guess my there glass. There is a little bit of a cola like scent. Yeah. Oh man, this it smells good. S- smells punchy. I appreciate that because Mother Nature is a punchy gal, especially right now. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> oh Mother Nature. All cheers. right. Where are we cheersing to? Your queer story. Yeah. Cheers to your queer story. They're awesome dudes getting shit done. Yeah. Woo! Look good, clean. I'm like afraid for that one day that we go in a little too hard and our glasses just shatter and then there's wine and glass all over like us and our laptops. You know what we should do? We should constantly have a camera running when we do our clink because if that happens, we better have it on video. I agree. Patreon content the day <laughs> Kelly and I wreck our hands by cheersing too enthusiastically. There's it's blood, coming. there's wine, there's glass. It's fantastic. And then there's panic, panic fran- frantic trying to save our laptops. See, it's actually really good. Yeah. It's it's not as like um, aggressive as I thought it would be. It's not as full bodied as one would think. See, I, I would no, almost say it's full body. Like it feels like really feel. thick on my tongue. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking mouth feel. We haven't said that word in a while. I had to bring it uh, back. If you want us saying mouth feel as a ringtone, Subscribe to our Patreon at any dollar limit. Yeah. Because I just have to record that once. And then just put it in like your comments. Be like, hey, I want a ringtone of one of you saying mouthfeel. No, you're going to get it. If you subscribe to our Patreon at any level, you're going to get a mouthfeel ringtone. And here's the thing. We'll even like come up with like a mouthfeel song so it can be your ringtone. And then we'll just do mouthfeel for your text notifications. Although someone who's way savvier than me probably has already lifted us saying that 80 times in the past minute. And like that is their ringtone. And to you, I say bravo. Bravo. You earned it. (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations on doing the work. Way to be a super creep. (laughs) Still donate to our Patreon. Yeah, we still love you. Yeah. I just had to double check that we were actually recording. We are. If we were not, I would throw this glass on the ground. I'd be dead. <laughs> actually, no. Because there was one time we were an hour and 10 minutes in and Kelly's like, don't hate me. We're not. We haven't been recording this entire time. Although that was both. Both of those were quarantine. Yeah. That that was the quarantine curse. We had some terrible. trouble. The first two episodes that we'd recorded in quarantine and it it was the weirdest shit too it wasn't the the stuff that you would expect to go wrong like our video or even not dad it was it was oh i thought i hit the button and i totally didn't and or one time i did and then it like stopped part way through so i only had like half of the episode and i was like what is this bullshit yeah no it's crazy quarantine is sexist anyway uh so i'm going first this week and I have a special little shout out to my ma'am. Your ma'am. Hi, ma'am. What's up, Gwen? So she actually emailed this lady to me uh, and thought she would be appropriate for the podcast. And something I love about my mom, I don't know if she knows we're celebrating Pride. I don't know if I've told her, hmm. but she sends me 
a trans woman that I can cover during Pride Month. Like, she, she's on, she knows. She's just on the way. She's on top of it, yeah. you know? Not that we only cover trans women during Pride, but I was trying to figure out who I was going to cover next. And my mom's like, here you go. I sensed it. And she's like, I knew you needed me. Yeah, there's this one spot in my belly that's never stopped hurting since I gave birth to you. And it was throbbing the other day. And so I so knew I you needed me. Knew. <laughs> it's like her bat signal. All right. So I am covering Roberta Cowell, the first known British trans woman to undergo sex reassignment surgery. Wow. Yeah. Doing a lot of first. I feel like we've covered a lot of like firsts in trans history. Like yeah, even even last year, we covered three trans women in one episode. And actually what the woman I covered, I think it was Lily Elba. You were going to cover, but you... She was in mine. Yeah, but thank God you already had two women you were covering, so we were fine. Um, and they were there were a lot of firsts in yeah. that in that group even. So it's it's still, like, pretty new I, I when you look it at is. it. So I think it's pretty easy to be uh, nailing some firsts. All right. Let's do this. All right, so Roberta was born on April 8th, 1918 in Croydon, London, England, as one of three children to decorated Major General Sir Ernest Marshall Cowell and Dorothy, Hmm. his wife. Not much about Dorothy. That's fine. This isn't about her. Roberta was born as a biological male and attended a public all-boys school in town. It was here that she became involved with the school's motor club. This is also where she met John Cunningham, who would later become a flying ace for the Royal Air Force. Interesting. I include that detail because it seemed cool because I guess John Cunningham is a pretty big deal. So if you're familiar with him, this is your like moment to feel very smart. He never comes back, though. I always try to do that. Like when I'm like, oh, they crossed paths with a famous person. I'm like, it's not really important, but I'm still going to put that in just to put into context of like... This is who this person hung out with. There is sometimes I'm like ready to omit a town name or uh, a building name or something like that because like it's not necessary. But I was like, no, because someone who lives there is going to really love hearing their town name. Or someone out there is going to be like, I know that. I might not know the rest of this story, but I know that one thing. Yeah. So Roberta described growing up feeling conflicted about her gender. She felt feminine, but overcompensated for this with a quote, aggressively masculine manner. So she like leaned heavy into the like aggressive masculine traits because she's like, oh, it's I'm a I'm a boy. I'm not supposed to be feminine and feel this way. And especially growing up in the early 1900s, that was super not okay. not a thing. So growing up, Roberta was also interested in photography and filmmaking. Later in her academic career, when she was like 15 or 16 years old, I think, uh, she took a trip to Germany and Austria with a friend. While in Belgium, Germany, she secretly filmed a group of Nazis performing a drill. She was caught and arrested by the Nazis. The Nazis did agree to let her go as long as she destroyed the film. Because Roberta is 100% that bitch, she switched the tape for a blank one and made it out of Germany with the Nazi drill footage. Nice. I don't know if she ever did anything with it, but just the fact that she pulled one over on the Nazis as, like, a teenager makes me really happy, because fuck them. At 16 years old, Roberta left school to become an apprentice aircraft engineer at General Aircraft Limited, but didn't stay long before joining the Royal Air Force. I'm just going to say this right now. 
I struggled with this research because Roberta kind of flits from like one thing to the next, then back and the, like her. She yeah, did I've, not live I've her covered people like that. Yeah, she did not live her life to give me a very smooth flowing narrative. She's kind of all over the place. Like, but you know what? The lady I covered that like randomly like wrote porn in addition to like all the other Dude, stuff she did. I'm still mentally recovering from because it was it was an amazing story and it's actually one of our most listened to episodes. But she did so much stuff. Yeah, she you did put so porn much. in the title. Everyone's <laughs> like, what? I think it was like the porno writing bra inventor or something. Yeah. But, uh, she did but she so did much stuff and she so was much all and over such the place. weird shit. And she yeah. was everywhere and fucking everyone and writing and just like. And that was the other, uh, the other thing is she was. You couldn't pin that chick yeah, down. That was, that was insane. So I understand the trying to research someone where they literally like have a foot in like everything. Fingers in all of the pies. Yes. And in her case, probably Maybe literally. literally. <laughs> this story probably isn't as intense thought. as that, but it's still like kind of, and there's some things where I'm like, what? Okay, whatever. Moving on. So, um, so by joining the Royal Air Force or the RAF, Roberta was continuing a military tradition in her family. Her Yay. father, Major General Sir Ernest Marshall Cowell. I love that name. He's making you say it. He's earned it. <laughs> He was a big deal in the military. He had served as a surgeon in the Royal Army Medical Corps during World War One and shipped off again to serve in World War Two as the director of oh. the medical services for the Allied forces in North Africa from 1942 to 1944. Oh, good on her dad. Yeah. He received several awards and was made honorary surgeon to King George the Sixth. I had to like remember to my think Roman about the numerals. No- yeah. I don't know why I just I write the number. Too. I don't know why I challenged myself. But that's the dude who was featured in the King's speech with yep. the stutter. So if you've seen it that movie, Elizabeth's this is your moment. Father. You are right. So after World War II, he became the public medical officer for the Allied High Commission, which governed occupied post-war Germany. So then he was basically like the head medical person to help Germany put its shit back together. That's yeah. So that's all we're really going to hear about him. But he was featured in like every article I read because he's a cool fucking dude. Right. As far as I know. was a big deal. Yeah. So Roberta started out as uh, an acting pilot officer in 1936. But the same year she was discharged because she suffered from serious air sickness. Oh. Yeah. It's really hard to be a pilot when you can't be in the air. So that same year, Roberta began studying engineering at the University College London and began motor racing. She had a need for speed, but she was just too grounded, you know? Yeah. That's good. She's a little speed demon. Like, that's a running thing. She's she's a little speed demon. Yeah, she just likes, yeah. she likes to go fast. She likes to go fast. Roberta became familiar with motor racing by employing the same sneaky skills that helped her sneak film past the Nazis. She snuck into where the cars were being serviced, disguised as a mechanic, and offered to help anyone with their cars. So she'd like watch the races. She'd get in there with the cars because she is studying engineering. She was super not supposed to be there. She was like had her little mechanics overalls and was like, hey, I belong here. Let me stick my hands in your engine. So Roberta was actually did race and she entered the lands and speed trial and won in her class so she was really good was she racing as a male though yes okay. so um you will know when she starts to realize that she's a tra- okay. that she's a woman i just um, wanted to make sure 
I refer to as Roberta throughout all of this. Uh, I use she, her pronouns. But she is living as a male at this point. Okay. So that's why no one's being like, girls can't race. Yeah, they that, don't That's know. why I just wanted to like, yep. for the listeners, Emily. I appreciate that. Uh, by 1939, Roberta owned three cars and competed in the Antwerp Grand Prix. Oh. Yeah. I assume that's a really real big fast. deal. Like, Grand Prix sounds really advanced, yeah. like for a non-motor racing savvy person like myself. Right. Now I know what you're thinking. We had Nazis in this story and they didn't completely ruin everything. Not so fast. <laughs> On December 28, 1940, Roberta became a commissioned second lieutenant in the Royal Army Service Corps. Uh, the following year, she married her wife, Diana Margaret Selma Carpenter, who was a fellow engineering student at the University of College London. Because that person had four names. Yes. Okay. Uh, you know what? Um... I believe Roberta's mother, Dorothy, also had like four or five names, but I was like, she never comes back. I'm j- this the woman page I'm is six covering has four long. names, but I'm only going to ever say it once because it's really hard to pronounce. Yes. Um, but like good on Diana for being an engineering student in London during the 1940s. Like we don't get a lot of information about her, but she sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Roberta served in Iceland before being transferred to the Royal Air Force. You know, the one where she was discharged from for having air sickness? Yep. So she was transferred there in 1942 as a pilot officer. Apparently, sometime before the war, she had got her air sickness in check and he ha- had her private pilot's license and completed RAF flying training. Wow, okay. See, I'm telling you, none of this shit makes sense because life is chaos. <laughs> At some point, unbeknownst to anyone, including she just, her. She was just doing this shit. Yeah. You know, she got over her air sickness. She discovered um, uh, Dramamine. Yeah. Did I ever tell you when I heard a three-year-old yell Dramamine? That's funny. Yeah. She, uh, so uh, one of the, when I worked at the daycare, one of the teachers was on vacation. I think her honeymoon or something. And... The little preschooler is like, where's Miss So-and-so? Oh, you know, she's on vacation. You know, she she flew off to wherever. Did she have to take Dramamine? And we're all like, the fuck? <laughs> Apparently, this kid gets That's really, so really funny. bad motion sickness. So she's on Dramamine constantly. Oh, like, I, even I in the car. <laughs> like, when I fly or if I'm going to, like, go on roller coasters. <laughs> nice. That's about it. But yeah, hearing hearing that yes. long ass word come out of a three year old's like, mouth. How do you was know what? The- well, insane. especially if she like could actually pronounce it correctly. You're like, Jesus, child. Yeah, her parents aren't pulling punches. They're not calling this like dizzy medicine or motions. They're calling it Dramamine, and she fucking knows. Is why you don't talk down to your kids, guys. They can figure it out. Right. They'll read that bottle. Yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> uh, she couldn't spell the, but she could read Dramamine. So Roberta flew with a Spitfire squadron and also served as an instructor. In 1944, she flew with the number four squadron RAF doing aerial reconnaissance, flying an unarmed supermarine Spitfire that was equipped with a camera. Oh, so Spitfire is like legitimately the name of the plane she's yes. flying. Okay. Yes. Because for a second, I'm like, are you just saying, like, you're like a Spitfire crew. I'm like, are you just saying they were like a really rowdy bunch of people? Like- oh, you know, those little Spitfire. Fires, they're always causing trouble, pulling pranks on their CO, <laughs> drawing penises on his plane. Right. Uh, so during one flight over Frugues, France, not going to apologize, definitely. Frugues? 
Definitely did not pronounce it correctly. F-R-U-G-E-S. Not oh, stopping. Like this isn't about you, France. Not everything's about you. So while flying over whatever France, Roberta's oxygen system malfunctioned, oh, causing shit. her to pass out at 31,000 feet. Oh, shit. As she should have had her fucking Dramamine. <laughs> I don't think that would have helped. You don't know. <laughs> The plane kept flying yep. for over an hour over German, uh, the German-occupied country. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's terrifying. Her plane was spotted and fired at by the Germans. Thankfully, Roberta regained consciousness and managed to fly back to base. I'm imagining, like, all those bullets, like, bouncing off her plane. She's like, oh, God, what? Oh, I was having the best dream. Oh, shit! <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a dream! Oh, my God! <laughs> One time she ran out of fuel and landed her plane at the Jesus. edge of the cliff. Like it like like a fucking cartoon where she's coming in for a landing because she's out of fuel and she like just teeters ever so slightly over the cliff <laughs> yeah. and she just gets out and goes, Woof. <laughs> it's fine. Should I had my drama mean? <laughs> then I on November 18th, 1944. While flying on the outskirts of Antwerp, where she had won the Grand Prix. She wasn't there to win the Grand Prix, though. Roberta was attacked by anti-aircraft fire, causing her to have to jettison the cockpit's canopy and glide her plane into a crash landing. I guess she was, like, at too low of altitude to just jettison. So she had to, like, crash land part of it. Well, yeah. So, like, I I imagine it's, like, that little glass. Yes. Roof the, the window thing over roof. your head. Yeah, you'd think you'd want that intact, but I suppose yeah. if it's actually glass, yeah, it, it you don't want that off. shattering on impact. You know what? I probably hit a Nazi. We're fine. I also love how we're like it that little glass roof knot. thing where I have cockpit's canopy yep. in my notes. There's a name for it that I refuse to use. It definitely hit a Nazi. Herstory headcanon. Herstory headcanon. That thing hit like eight Nazis. Right, and it was took out a whole squad. Yeah, it was one of the weirdest like Nazi kills of World War Two. Yeah, this That's glass canopy came about out of fucking nowhere. They were like, this is too embarrassing. Yeah, Just don't say anything. Got taken out by a cockpit. How embarrassing! <laughs> so Roberta put out a radio call to confirm she was alive, but was soon captured by German soldiers before she could be rescued. Bummer. Shortly after being captured, Roberta tried to escape not once. But twice. Unfortunately, this did not work and she was taken further from the front deeper into Germany. So she basically figured if she tried to escape right away, she was close to the front. She could right, cross she could over kinda, like, to over, friendly territory. Yeah, or at least neutral. Yeah. And it, it, it didn't happen. Roberta spent several weeks in an interrogation center for captured Allied soldiers and was kept in solitary confinement before being moved to the POW camp Stotlag Luft 1. As opposed to Stotlock Luft 2, which, I mean, like, it, it seemed they more had, of like... They a, had worse showers. It wasn't as great. It seemed like more of a cash grab. Like, they're just riding off of the popularity of Stotlock Luft 1, you know? No one asked for a sequel. And no one yet wanted here we are. to. <laughs> In total, Roberta was a POW for five months. Oof. So, uh, one of my favorite podcasts, The Uh-Oh Feeling, they tell survivor stories like natural disasters, murder, POW camps, everything. They talk about John McCain and his experience in the POW camp. And I wish I could find, like, an episode's worth of information on Roberta's time because I'm like, I want them to cover this because it's crazy. To occupy her time, Roberta taught automotive engineering classes to her fellow POWs. Roberta would also describe such 
would also later describe six my god there's so many s's situational sexual behavior so that's basically when you're in a an unusual environment usually a same sex environment and you start engaging in sexual activity that doesn't align with your orientation or what you would traditionally engage yeah, in like in another in prisons scenario. yeah and honestly that's the best way to describe it you know, I mean, I'm sure it doesn't happen in all prisons, but there's that stereotype that it happens in prisons. Yeah. So uh, basically, in an all male camp, some of the soldiers began to proposition each other for sex because you're lonely. You got needs, you know, and as long as it's consensual, you do what you do. And I only right. pray consent was a factor. Um, at one point, Roberta was propositioned by other prisoners, which she was super not OK with, did not like. Uh, I couldn't find anything of her engaging in sexual activity or being assaulted. So fingers crossed that did not happen. She was also offered the female role in a play the prisoners put on, but declined because she thought it would cause the other prisoners to think she was a homosexual. Now, there is valid. I, I understand it. There's a lot of baggage that comes along with that label at the time, even now, but especially at that time. But in particular with the situational sexual behavior that's going on, like I can't ima- imagine she felt totally safe because it's like if they per- if they perceive her as someone who's OK with this, you know, like it's well, easier someone, to ignore her saying no. Someone adopting the female role, they might be viewed yeah. as more female, you know. And at first that kind of perked my eyebrow because later she does transition into a woman, you know, she accepts her identity and embraces it and so like oh she she's being offered the role of a woman like you think she'd be more into no she wasn't because there was a lot of in the situation there's a lot of baggage floating around there's a lot of static that made that maybe not the best situation so food began to run low in the camp and by the time roberta was liberated she had lost 50 pounds not the british money the weight i don't know how that much that is in kilograms because i'm from america (laughs) And because of the lack of food, she resorted to brace yourselves, skip ahead 15 seconds if you don't want to hear this, catching the cats that wandered the camp and eating them raw in order not to starve to death. That's gross. Yeah, that's That's, fucking awful. I'm not even going to go sad. I get it. Exactly. But fucking awful rats i can deal with no not not the kitten not the kittens i mean but at least like the well i guess the cats are probably eating the rats i was gonna say like theoretically the cats are probably less disease ridden but in a pow camp probably not when you're hungry you're hungry it's it's either eat or die yeah i might choose die (laughs) you don't know though i don't know and i never want to hope i will never know yeah (laughs) i know i will never like eat a pet this came up once. I was listening to really old episodes of like Whining Crime and they were talking about that. And one person oh, was yeah. like, I would hands down eat my pets. <laughs> and the other two were like, what kind of monster are you? I could never eat my dogs. I uh, So you hear like this- life or death situation. I would die rather than eat my dogs. So going back to the uh-oh feeling, some of the survivor stories I talk about, what people have to resort to in order to survive. I'm always like, man, I understand that. What you're willing to do changes when you're in a serious survival situation. 
I really don't think I'd be a person to survive. I think I would probably... I would be that person that's like, you need to eat someone, kill me and eat me because I'm not eating somebody. See, I think I would go down. I would either like give up mentally and just die or I would end up killing myself. Right. Or something, yeah. you know? But as I far as eating animals, like if I knew it was a pet, like even if it wasn't my pet, mm-hmm. I couldn't do it. Like I don't know if I could ever eat a cat, period. Be Just because I'm like, they're so ingrained as a pet. Yeah. Yeah. It's Hard. side topic. Oh, God. Maybe you should have skipped ahead more than 15 seconds. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You're going to skip 15 seconds and come into the middle of that and be like, I need another 20 minutes. Guys, there's no more animal death after this. That was probably like the worst part of the yeah, whole there's, story. There's none in my story either. In April of 1945, the approaching Red Army caused the Germans to flee, abandoning the camp and the prisoners, who straight up wouldn't go with them. There was like a negotiation where they're like, you guys can peace out. We're not. And the Germans were like, fuck it. Fine. Right? Like, we're not going to sacrifice our lives for you. And Which kind of surprised me. I'm like, surprising. Because they were so obsessed with covering up their war crimes. I'm like, I'm kind of surprised they didn't just fucking shoot everyone. I'm, right. I'm happy. Right. <laughs> I'm glad. Maybe but- because they were POWs. Like, maybe if they were civilians, they would have just been been like nope fuck you yeah because we know the nazis were not opposed to just killing a whole bunch of people at once on april 30th 1945 roberta and the other prisoners were liberated by the red army and roberta was flown back to the uk okay i always get a little bit nervous mainly because i'm a growing up in the u.s like when you hear the red army you're kind of like you know like there's a pause because you never know what you know i suppose by this point the red army had switched sides Oh yeah, yeah. They obviously they were, they were anti, anti- you know, Hitler. But and like at covered. the beginning of the war, you're kind of like that would be a bad thing, and then you're like, no. By this point in the war, it's okay. It's yeah. okay. And we we've covered a lot of women who fought for the Red Army yeah, yeah. against the Germans. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I I get it because I'm like, man, Stalin, Russia, it was a really bad scene at the time, but the Night Witches and Ludmila Pavlochenko right. were fucking badasses. Valentina but Ch- fuck Ch- Stalin. Tereshkova, Stalin. Although Valentina Tereshkova. Yeah. yeah. I know. She was badass. She was. Basically, I think every Russian we've covered has been a badass. I don't think we've covered. I don't think any of our felonious females were Russian. Nope. Not yet. I'm sure it's coming. Okay, so now we're getting to Roberta's post-war life. After the war, sorry, I'm hitting my mic stand. I moved it specifically so I wouldn't do that, and I did anyway. So after the war, Roberta founded her own motor racing team and competed all across Europe. This sounds fucking amazing, but when Roberta later wrote at this time, she described struggling with anxiety, depression, and flashbacks. Well, I can one, imagine. Yeah. Like, none of this is surprising. One flashback was triggered by watching a movie in which the main character is shot down while flying oh. a Spitfire, just like Roberta had been. And it sounds like she went down in that Spitfire multiple times, or she was attacked in a Spitfire multiple times. So she's struggling with what we now understand as PTSD. Right. OBS. Uh, Unfortunately, we were ill-equipped to deal with uh, PTSD and help returning soldiers with their trauma. And the condition wouldn't even officially... You know why? Because the condition wouldn't even officially be recognized as a diagnosable thing until any guesses? Well, it would be the DSM four. Oh God, so... you're so smart. Oh God, what year was the DSM? Eighty-eight. Nineteen eighty. Damn, that was pretty good though. Like, no, I love no. you. Know when the DSM four came out? <laughs> you fucking nerd. This is why you're getting your master's in psychology. 
I'm, I'm a, I've, now I have to Google what was the first what what DSM did PTSD first show up in. Yes. But like that blows my mind. I didn't even know that. I probably should know that. As someone who's a caregiver to someone with PTSD, I should just ha- be filled with all oh, these little I was PTSD wrong. It did show up in the DSM three. Okay. Yeah. So no, it, 1980. There we that go. Was when DSM three was published. Because I mean, they they acknowledged as like um, sh- in case anyone's shell shock. Yeah. The DSM stands for the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Just throwing that out there. And actually, didn't the DSM recently recategorize being transgender as not a disease? Or they or they they basically said, hey, if you're transgender, transition. Like they like they stopped considering it a mental deficit, you know? Yeah. I don't know how recent that I'm now I'm Googling that. Um it is appropriate. Da, da, da. At least we're staying on top of The diagnostic label gender identity disorder was used until twenty thirteen. Jesus fucking Christ. With the release of the DSM five, which is the current DSM still. Guys. I'm not looking forward to having to buy one of those. They're very expensive. <laughs> They're a very, very thick book. Guys, donate to our Patreon to get Kelly her DSM. I think they're still on volume, five. whatever. Yeah, I think they're still on five. So, uh, with her PTSD going undiagnosed, or rather being undiagnosable and untreated, Roberta's personal life began to crumble. She and her wife got a divorce in 1948, only three years after she returned to the UK. Aww. Yeah. Roberta tried to seek help from multiple psychologists. Uh, she had like kind of varying success. She wasn't super into some of them. But one such psychologist had what she described as a less orthodox approach to psychology. So he's a little out there, but in a good way. It was through these sessions with him that she began to accept and embrace her feminine feelings. Quote, it became quite obvious that the feminine side of my nature, which all my life I had known of and severely repressed, was very much more fundamental and deep-rooted than I had supposed. So she she's having this these feelings, and she's just shoving them down. Yeah, she's like, nope. shoving them down. Nope. And part of me wonders, so she, she described, you know, being a child and overcompensating for these feminine feelings by acting hyper-masculine. And part of me is like, I wonder if that's why she went to the military and, you know, motor racing and, you know, flying planes over Germany and like right, all, these, exactly. all these things that we would consider hyper-masculine. And that actually plays in a little later. So basically, she's been repressing these feelings that she's that she's a female all her life. And once she was in a safe space where she could explore these feelings, she began to accept them instead of reject them. Fun little factoid, the term transsexualism wouldn't even be introduced until 1949. Like we discussed last week, imagine trying to come to terms with your feelings without even having a word for them. Like... I remember when I finally was diagnosed with anxiety, like I thought I had a phobia of dying because that was the only way I could really process what I was feeling. And they gave me a word. I was like, oh, my God, I feel better all of a sudden. That's how it was when I was diagnosed with anxiety, too. Like you're like, oh, like I have this condition, but it's not I'm not unique like i'm not unique but in a good way yeah and not not to equate anxiety which is a mental illness to being transgender but just having a word to describe your feelings it makes you feel validated and it makes you feel like okay i can handle this it makes you feel not alone because you're like if there's a word for it somebody else has gone through this right that or they name it after you and then you're like fuck (laughs) 
that's how Lou Gehrig was like god damn it right. <laughs> that's what I think about like every time I hear diseases that are named after people I'm like I really feel bad for that person oh my god now not every trans person feels the need to undergo a medical transition not every trans person can undergo a medical transition but Roberta did that is the journey she is on while li- still living under a male identity, Roberta began taking estrogen. And so she's kind of living this double life where she's like exploring her femininity and like taking estrogen to medically transition, but she's still very much presenting as a male. And she actually talked about how she would avoid women and old, or no, children and old ladies. Because they would be very quick to point out how she looked was starting to look more feminine than masculine. Like kids and old ladies have no filter. They're either too young or they've like they're so old they don't give yeah. a fuck anymore. Old ladies are what people would call what is God, I had the word and then I forgot it. Um opinionated. Mm. Uh and children just don't know any better. Yeah. Uh, she also read Michael Dillon's 1946 book, Self, A Study of Ethics and Endocrinology. Michael Dillon was a British doctor and was best known as the first trans man to get a phallo- phalloplasty, which is the construction of a penis. Yay. Good for him. You, you get it, Michael. You get your penis, you Michael. You get your penis. Good for you. His book explored his journey as a trans man and his medical transition along with transsexualism in general. Michael also advocated for medical treatment for transgender individuals rather than psychoanalysis. Quote, the body should be made to fit approximately at any rate to the mind. So basically, people should just be allowed to physically express and embrace their gender identity. What a concept. And however that looks, that doesn't mean you have to fit into a traditional feminine box or a traditionally male box. Yeah. You know, Roberta was fascinated by Michael Dillon's book and met him and they became close friends. They became like BFFs, which is the sweetest thing. Like they found each other. That's adorable. Yeah. Because I mean, how many out trans people were there to connect with at the time trans people have been around forever probably in greater numbers than we're ever going to understand but because it wasn't like okay to be out how do you find each other or there wasn't a word for it there wasn't a word for it guys there was just ah. (laughs) there was just i don't feel like i'm a woman but i look like a woman i guess i'm just gonna deal with it exactly Now, remember how I said Michael was a physician? Well, he would become a physician in 1951, but in 1950, he was still unlicensed. He was still a student. It was during this time that Michael performed an orchiectomy or removing a a testicle removal on Roberta. So the not doctor BFF is performing surgery on Roberta. You know, if you were a medical student, I would trust you. That's a mistake. <laughs> I I'm a bad student at things I enjoy, let alone medicine. Although like he's gonna he's gonna get his license in a year. Right, like, like he was probably like an intern or something. Yeah. The uh the act or that was a typo. The act he wasn't a doctor yet. The fact he wasn't a doctor yet may have actually worked in their favor. The procedure was highly secretive because it was straight up illegal to perform under 
mayhem laws, which considered intentional disfiguring of a man who was eligible to serve in the army as a crime. So basically, they they made it illegal, like cut off your trigger finger or to damage an eligible soldier in any way that would make it so they couldn't serve because they're trying to make sure that they could get people to serve in the army. Uh, But also it meant that you could not. Have so it's sexual like he probably, transition he surgery. probably would have lost his license. So it's better just to do it when he's not licensed. Yeah, I mean, he would have been kicked out of his studies, but maybe he's not like under such a microscope. He's like kind of off the grid. Right. Apparently, everything went okay though. So thank God, doctor or no doctor. Testicles so I'm gonna be like gone, one of those stories that you're just like, and she died. Yeah, basically, bucket full or tub full of ice situation. It was really crazy. This made Roberta the first British woman to undergo sex reassignment surgery. Yay. Yeah. Also, I probably should have looked this up. I use terms like sex reassignment surgery because your gender identity is different than your sex. And if I'm using the wrong term, please let me know so I can correct it in the future. But I did have it as like gender reassignment. I was like, no, your gender is inherent to you regardless of your genitalia. But maybe that's better because it's fulfilling your idea of your gender. But I just put sex reassignment surgery because it, it, you are altering your genital. I, maybe I'm overthinking it. I'm trying. Probably. I'm trying to be But uh, if someone is offended or whatever, let us know. Kindly correct me. I'm not trying to be an asshole here. Then Roberta took another step towards her transition. She met with a private practice gynecologist and was able to get a document claiming she was intersex. And that means you have both uh, male and female genitalia or male and female so characteristics. So one way to get around it. Yeah. This allowed her to get a new birth certificate stating she was a female. So Roberta is legally a woman now. Oh, shit. Like, regardless of her physical transition, she is legally, in the eyes of a state, a woman, which is huge. I'd say because the country. I don't think the UK has states. Did I Emily. say state? You did. Well, I mean state as in like, you know how you say the man? State of the union. You know how you say like the man, the state? (laughs) I know. The state of bullshit. (laughs) This wine is hitting me. I was trying to figure out like what proof this wine is because it's hitting me pretty hard. Oh, God. It's it's deceptive because it goes down very smoothly. It's not like juice where I want to chug it, but I don't like get any pushback, you know? In 1951, Roberta had a va- va- God words va- vaginoplasty. vaginoplasty, vaginoplasty, vaginoplasty. Uh, this time by an actual doctor. In fact, uh, Sir Harold Gillis, the father of modern cosmetic surgery, did it. While Sir Gillis was no stranger to gender reassignment surgeries, because he was actually the one who performed uh, the surgery on Michael Dillon, so that's oh. probably how they like connected. Yeah. Michael's like, hey. I got a guy. I can hook you up. Yeah. Also, this this is a relatively high percentage. Oh. Because in in the world, not in the U.S., in the world, 11.5 to 13.5 is average. This one is a 14.2. Oh, shit. (laughs) The true myth is that we'll be sober by the end of this. (laughs) It's probably also because I haven't eaten anything since 
lunch. Ah, uh, see, I had a late lunch and could not finish it. I got my vegan. I, had Chinese, <laughs> I, my vegan food. I had Chinese food today. It I was, had Asian it food was too, but it was vegan. <laughs> I'm just taking Emily completely off track. So this is what ha- this is why I don't drink a lot during our episodes because then I just get completely like sidetracked. Guys, we will start conversations and like a week later I'll be like, "Hey, remember that story I started telling you and we got completely this off track?" This is how it ends. This is how it ends. Let me finish my story. Um so uh Sir Gillis uh, is no stranger to sex reassignment surgery, but a vaginoplasty was new territory. He had only performed the procedure experimentally on a cadaver before he did it on Roberta. Hmm. Sir Gillis was a supporter of sexual reassignment surgery, writing, quote, if it gives real happiness, that is the most that any surgeon or medicine can give. You go, Sir Gillis. Gile, G-I-L-L-I-E-S. I'm calling him Gillis. Um, yeah, Gillis or maybe Gillies. Fine. Sir Gillies. Gillies is funny. Michael would later propose to Roberta, but she rejected him. I hope they were able uh, to stay friends, though. Well, like, I guess I, I get it, but at the same time, it's like, yeah. I kind of ship it, though. <laughs> right? I know. I'm kind of like, I kind of wish she would. Uh, Roberta did not live her life to fit our narrative. That's fine. So throughout her transition, Roberta never lost her love of motor racing. She even started her own racing car engineering company called Lee Croft on Eggham. Yum. It's a good breakfast. Unfortunately, due to her transition, she was no longer allowed to race in the Grand Prix. Aww. Boom. Lame. Bitches. No, just, they won't get beat by a girl. In March of 1954, news of Roberta's revolutionary transition broke. I don't know how, but it did. And it sparked international attention. The magazine Picture Post paid Roberta 8,000 pounds, which is around 220,000 pounds in today's money. Don't ask me what that is in dollars. No one cares for her story. <laughs> no one cares. <laughs> it's actually probably significantly more because. No, wait. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this on no, the podcast. It's fine. It's fine. I'm not doing this. As we've said multiple times since we've literally started this podcast, we don't math well. We math less well on wine. <laughs> you know what? Women can be good at math. There are plenty of women who are good at math. Being a woman does not inherently make you bad at math. We just happen to be bad at it, but it's not because we're women. I'm actually really good at math, just not. In my head and when I'm drinking wine. I I told you the story of when I was modeling and to pass the time I started doing my times tables and one of the artists like was drawing me and she drew me with this like very like serious expression. She's like, are you doing okay? And I was like, oh, I was probably trying to figure out what like seven times 12 was. Right. I, I, I told her what I was you doing. You are so funny. She titled the piece seven times 12. Oh, that's awesome. Don't ask me what seven times 12 is. You can go fuck yourself. It's 77 plus 7, right? Yeah. So 84. Okay. We figured that out. We mathed enough for today. (laughs) And we're done. So uh, that's the episode, everybody. (laughs) Good night. I have nothing left to give you people. Soon after, Roberta published her autobiography called Roberta Cowell's Story because she's succinct and to the point, unlike Fuck us. Yeah. This earned her another 41,400 pounds in today's money. It was like 1,500 in back then's money. In her autobiography, she wrote, wo- 
Fuck. Is that wrote and woke combined into one work? She was her autobiography was so woke that she, she it was so she, woke she, she had to woke it. it down. <laughs> I think we captured the exact oh. moment this wine hit me. Okay, I told you it's it's there in her autobiography. She wrote, "Since May eighteenth, nineteen fifty two, I have been Roberta Cowell, female. I have become woman physically, psychologically, glandularly." That's a hard word. And legally. I actually practice saying glandularly. 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 Okay. I practiced it and all of that was for nothing. Now, okay. I still love you. Good. You better. I will always love you. Aw. Even when I clumsily say glandularly. I, the fact that I can feel this wine and it hasn't even been my turn yet. It's coming. Your story's going to be fun. Now, around this time, our girl, Christine Jorgensen, who you covered, uh, was also gaining widespread attention for her surgical transition. And you can hear her whole story, beautifully told by Kelly, in episode 15. Because we covered her last last Pride. When I I see references to women we covered last Pride, I'm like, oh, my God, we're only like 15 episodes in? Only 14? We were such... Babies. We were babies, and we didn't even know. So this led to a lot of news coverage on both sides of the pond. Unfortunately, it was not all super accurate because this was the 1950s, guys. Yay. At this point, the cisgender public's understanding of transgender people ranged from non-existent to way off base. The predominant narrative was that trans women were just gay men who were super effeminate or using their female identities to indulge their homosexual desires. Interesting. Which, uh, it sounds so fucking stupid because it is, but we still hear that myth today. And that is another true myth. It's so stupid. It's fucking, yeah, it's like, oh no, trans women are just predators trying to get access to our bathrooms. I picked a good wine. You did. We're breaking down all the myths today, guys. Also, bi people are real. Moom. Boom. Myth busted. Moom. Moom. <laughs> Moom. <laughs> God damn. We're the Moom Mythbusters. <laughs> I think I killed Kelly. Are you okay? <laughs> I don't know. That was like my verbal dyslexia. Like I moved the M to the beginning and kept it at the end for some reason. <laughs> That's going on our leather jacket. Oh shit! Moom! <laughs> With an exclamation. Point. When we when we go to like a women's rights rally, we're just gonna be like moom. <laughs> Everyone's gonna be like, "What the fuck? Moom, motherfuckers!" <laughs> oh god! Jesus That's Christ! Good, that was a good belly laugh. So, friendly reminder for everyone, sexual orientation, gender identity, or independent. Boom. Moom. Myth busted. (laughs) However, Roberta's super masculine story of being a tough Air Force pilot, war hero who was married to a woman and a motor racing goddess, little speed demon over here, challenged this narrative that trans women were just super effeminate men. Because a, 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 sup- a super effeminate man wouldn't be flying around a spitfire, landing on the edges of cliffs, you know, surviving a POW camp, being married to a woman, and be racing motor cars. 
to them. That's super not true. But like it challenged this narrative. Though Roberta couldn't compete in the Grand Prix, she did continue racing now as a woman. Yay. This gained her a lot of publicity, especially when she won the 1957 Shelsley Walsh Speed Hill Climb. There are all these pictures of her in her race car, and she looks so fucking fierce and perfect. And actually, I think, oh, shit, no, I opened Twitter. Why did I do that? I had a picture for you. And apparently, apparently I just... doesn't care about the podcast. Apparently, she I just kept scrolling. Just wants to go on Okay, Twitter. here's one. Ooh. Like, she looks yeah. really, like polished in 50s like she's got like like the little the little curl at the bottom of her hair and she just looks like she kind of looks like a almost a pinup model like just very like perfect 50s lady but she like and she's still a badass you know like she looks like she could fucking take your ass and she will she, I mean, she won't because she doesn't have a penis anymore, but... She'll beat your ass. Yeah. You say shit, she'll beat your ass. She also continued to pursue her passion of piloting and aircraft engineering pur- purchasing an ex-Royal Air Force de Havilland mosquito. Olivia de Havilland died? <laughs> Olivia de Havilland is still alive and well, everyone. Don't worry, everybody. I don't remember what episode I told that story in. Oh, but, God, uh, I don't either, but that was so funny. Every time I hear, see, oh, it was uh, when I covered Viola Desmond because she went to see an Olivia de Havilland movie. That's right. And so Olivia I had to talk about how my grandfather accidentally trolled mm. my whole family into thinking Olivia de Havilland died. And this was like decades and decades and decades ago That's olivia de Havilland is still fucking so alive funny. you guys so she so she bought this uh this very alive olivia de Havilland airplane with the intention of compete completing a record-breaking flight over the south atlantic unfortunately she couldn't find a suitable engine and she became bankrupt in 1958 Aww. having accrued two hundred and sixty nine thousand one hundred pounds in debt in today's money oh Sucks. The plane itself was eventually scrapped. So in this case, Olivia de Havilland did die. <laughs> Roberta continued to struggle financially, and her transition made it difficult or f- difficult for her to find a job. Not that there were a lot of employment opportunities for women anyway at this time, but it's even harder for trans women. Still is. Though she continued to fly and participate in motor racing, Roberta largely dropped out of the public eye in her later life. Aww. Now... When we talk about the women on our show, we don't just acknowledge their successes and their badassery, but we also need to acknowledge their failures because to totally glorify someone and ignore okay. their if, faults. Yeah, if they did something bad that needs they need to be, you know. We 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 need to acknowledge it because people are complicated, they're not always good, and to ignore that is a disservice to everyone. I was going to try and pour this wine while making eye contact with you because I probably shouldn't have any more wine. I was going to say, you're staring hard at that wine and it doesn't look like you quite have it. <laughs> Looks like you're a little bit on the struggle bus. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. In 1972, Roberta was interviewed to promote her ultimately unpublished second biography. Hmm. During the interview, Roberta justified her transition by stating she was intersex and had uh, two X chromosomes, but had male characteristics. This is also known as XX male syndrome, where basically your chromosomes match up with female chromosomes, but you have male male physical characteristics. So you have XX chromosomes, you can have a penis, that kind of thing. 
Um, this You're is another like, reason why kind of a thing. This is whatever. another reason that the like gender binary is bullshit because there are so many different variations in your body and your chemistry and like you- listener who's sitting right now listening to us you could be intersex and you have no idea right you know so i don't know if she actually was or not and and this is me just my interpretation but she when she went to that gynecologist to get her the uh the paperwork saying she was intersex i was like could they test for that at that time i kind of was under the impression that she was doing she like went to someone who would like hook her up with the right. documentation it's like you you go to a doctor to get a you know prescription for medical cannabis kind of thing i don't know though and i couldn't find anything that was like that confirmed she was intersex i don't want to like erase intersex people yeah no i agree um but I couldn't find anything, you know, that stated that this was or was not accurate. Um, either way, there's nothing wrong with that. Intersex or not, whatever. Where it does get icky is when she criticizes trans women with XY chromosomes, which are the traditionally male ones. She said, quote, the people who have followed me have often been those with male chromosomes, XY. So they've been normal people who've turned themselves into freaks by means of the operation. Oh, God. God damn it, Roberta. And I are, I was already like five pages in. I could not turn back. Here's the thing, though. Okay. I'm just going to read why I've written down. This is 100% not fucking true. And also, what? Like, everyone walks around knowing what chromosomes right? they like, have? Right? Like, come on. Fuck off. That. 100% not true. And it's really disheartening to hear a trans woman discredit other trans women because of their chromosomes and like i can only imagine what them freaks yeah who are like mutilating their body fuck no and i can only imagine what she was dealing with psychologically and also what had been imprinted on her culturally it kind of sounds to me that she was using um her being intersex as a justification for her feelings she's like no there's a physical reason i feel this way so you can't discredit me and i don't know if she was protecting herself but like it was super not okay for her to say those things and like she was also repressing her gender identity for most of her life i think there's a lot of feelings going on here regardless that's not fucking okay and that's really unfortunate Because her second autobiography was never published and she retreated from public life, we don't know if she ever changed her views on this. Hmm. I really hope she did. I really hope she, like, got closer to loving herself and also accepting other trans women. I hope so. On October 11th, 2011, Roberta Cowell died. So she was alive not that long ago, during our lifetime. Yeah. Her funeral was only attended by six people. Per her Ooh. wishes, oh, okay. it was on. Well, no. Oh. S- six Sorry. people. Stop. Per her wishes, it was unpublicized. Hmm. So she had retreated. She she basically cut everyone off. Yeah. And part of me wonders if it was, you know, maybe she's getting some poor attention for being a trans woman, but also part of PTSD is you self-isolate. You sever the connections you have with other people. And so I wonder if maybe that was also playing a part in it. I don't know. Maybe. Only Roberta knows. Legacy. 
While Christine Jorgensen died in 1989, her obituary, or sorry, when Christine Jorgensen died in 1989, her obituary was featured in the New York Times. So they don't have to do an overlook for her. They fucking got it right the first time. Good. However, Roberta died in obscurity and her death was only reported in a British newspaper, uh, The Independent, on, uh, oh, sorry, The Independent on Sunday in 2013, two years after her death. The article stated, quote, so complete was her withdrawal from public life that even her own children did not know she had died. That's why I'm like, there's something going on with Roberta. Like, she's obviously like this isn't just her in the public eye. You know, she's not just trying to have her privacy like even her own kids had no idea. Yeah. The New York Times published her obituary as part of their Overlook series on June 5th of this year. I thought you said she didn't need an Overlooked one. No, Christine Jorgensen. So Christine Jorgensen died before uh, Roberta and the New York Times did publish an obituary about her, but they did not publish one. I missed the name for some reason. About Roberta. Although that's not really their fault because she didn't want her She wasn't publicized. Yeah. So... But they are acknowledging her now. Great. So, yeah, they just published her obituary like seven days ago. <laughs> wow. Of this year, which is how my mom found out about her and recommended her because my mom's a fucking badass and I love her. Roberta Cal is still recognized as a transgender pioneer, having been one of the first people to undergo a surgical transition. Uh, through her story, awareness for transgender people was heightened around the world, and she helped pave the way for those after her. Yeah, that's and in awesome. particular, her living a very uh, engaging in very traditionally masculine pursuits challenged a lot of the misconceptions about trans women at the time. Right, which and is great. She was challenge not a, away people. Yeah, and she was by no means a perfect figure. And I really hope she found peace, and I really hope she changed her views. That's not really. Like, I have no fucking idea. Right. Um, but her getting her story out and having a very public story was important for the transgender movement, transgender awareness. And for that, we thank you, Roberta. Yes. But I hope she came to accept people like her. Well, I was thinking, I was like, man, what were our thoughts about transgender people around 2011? Because my immediate thought was like, wow, we had come so far. And we did. But at the same time, like, did we i know especially recently um awareness for transgender individuals and support has swelled it has it's it's better but i'm like man 2011 we were juniors and sophomore juniors in in the correct direction we're definitely not there yet yeah we're moving in the right direction yeah and we need to keep going and actually something that's really sad um in march of this year a trans woman of color, Nina Pop, was murdered in her apartment. So uh, and it's it's an ongoing investigation. I am praying to whatever spiritual deity or entity is out there that they fucking find whoever the fuck did that and nail them to a wall because the violence against trans women, particularly trans women of color, is out of control. It's terrible. And... Figuring out who did it and like pursuing those cases is not a high priority. Right. And they're they're often swept under the rug where it's like, well, they were living a high risk lifestyle style. Fuck them. Oh, they were trans. um, Fuck them. No. Yeah. Just because they're trans doesn't mean they're living a high risk lifestyle. Or, oh, they're a person of color. Fuck them. You know, just so uh, thinking of you, Nina, 
I'm so sorry. And uh, one day justice will be done. I hope it gets better. It has to. There's there's no choice. It has to get better. Yeah, that's our episode. Uh, I'm too bummed out. Between the cats and this, I'm bummed out. Yep. (laughs) But we still have your story. And I get to finish my wine. You have more like me. Really I gotta drive like, later. Drinking. Unless we, unless we like go for a walk after this, we could. I'd be up for that. I'd be game. I need to work my gams. I did go to the gym the other Your day. My gyms, yeah, my gams. The fuck was that? It was a dog. Oh, I I thought your husband was opening the door and I'm like, I was about to be like, the fuck? No, he'd knock first like last time. No, it's a dog. Okay. Your gams? Yeah, so I call my legs. My sexy gams. It's also why I I'm call sorry, my dog's legs. I'm sorry, my last legs. name is... You know what my last name is, so I'm like... That's a nickname for one of the brothers. So oh, I my like, God. Gams. Okay. Yeah, my gams. I've been doing squats, making my gams all tight and sexy. I had to go Have to the gym more. because my gym opened back up. And uh, man, jogging in a mask is fucking hard. I thought I was going to die. <laughs> yeah. No, I stick to outside. It's super nice out that we should yeah. definitely go for a walk. Yeah. All right. So I'm covering. Dear God, help me. <laughs> Pronunciations. Let me. I want to pull up the full name because I didn't actually write her full four name name down but i will i'll say it once they're fucking hot so i'm covering selma otelia lavisa lagerloff that's a fucking gorgeous name i'm sorry say that one more time selma selma otelia otelia lavisa lavisa lagerloff lagerloff swedish Love it. Yeah. Love it is a really sweets. pretty name. I like they Otila. Have the best meatballs. Yeah. They do. Some really crazy furniture. Yeah. That's like hard to put together. Yeah. There's always like 10 extra pieces and you're like, did I do it wrong? Or is this just for fun? Right. Are they fucking with me? Right. You and your privatized health care. I was, I was looking at <laughs> memes all related to Ikea yesterday and it was like... <laughs> Like, three of them were about how, like, the interview to be, like, somebody who works at Ikea is, like, assembling a chair. Jesus Christ. I probably laughed way too hard at that. That's but amazing. it was funny. Okay. So, Selma was born on November 20th, 1858. She was raised in the family home of Marbaca, which is, like, the estate. Like, that was her family estate. Oh, oh. So, like, um, like, Dwendelmore. Like, the Dwendelmore estate. You just made that up, didn't you? I did. There's a there's a Cleveland show joke. Wilbermore. He calls his house Wilbermore. That's yeah, I was like, trying to think of that. Uh, Versailles. Or yeah, you know. Yeah. Wilbermore. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's Marbaca. Marbaca. I'm sure that's probably not right because it's one of those A's that have like a circle over it. So it might be like Marbaca. Marbaca. I'm gonna go with Marbaca. Huh. Um it's in the province of Varmland in southern Sweden. She was the fifth of six children of Eric Gustav Lagerlof, who was a retired army officer, and Louise Walroff, who came from a family of clergymen. Okay, cool. So she, you know, she she grew up with a lot of both discipline and like a spiritual upbringing. So she very she had a very straight path. Yeah. I hit my mic. She was going to become the Padre from MASH. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so she was born with a hip injury, which caused um, 
a detachment at the hip joint. Oh, and hip at, problems are the worst. And at the age of three and a half, she developed a sickness that left her lame in both legs, but she would recover later in life. Okay. Oh, man. So she did recover from it. Three-year-olds are fucking tough to deal with. Can you right? imagine one who's like, can't deal, is like in chronic hip pain and can't fucking walk or do anything? Like, ugh. So in addition to her, like, discipline and spiritual upbringing, she also got a good dose of fairy tales from her paternal grandparents. I know we have moved on, but I'm I'm getting self conscious. I'm not saying having a disabled three year old is a like a bat or I'm going like ew, but I'm like, man, that would be really tough to deal with. It would be that's a challenge that you're not like prepared for as a parent. Disabled children are worthy of love and life and compassion. I'm not trying to be a dick. Yep, the wine has definitely hit Emily. Yeah, I actually, okay, story time. I used to work with a little boy and uh, he, we found out later that he had hearing problems. So he couldn't, he couldn't like form words. He just babbled. He kind of did the baby thing. And he also couldn't walk. So what he would do is he'd be like sitting up on the floor and he would throw himself back and then just like use his feet to push off of whatever was closest. And he would launch himself across the room and he'd take out kids as yeah, he was, because he can't it see. Out. And I remember they, like, they finally, you know realize like okay he's like kind of behind we should figure this out so one day he comes to the daycare he's got hearing aids he's got this little golden walker oh he was one of my favorites because he was so sweet and but he you know he was still like catching up and so he would like take his walker and like slam it again against the floor and go like you know just like he was excited yeah and there were these two boys who were fucking shitheads like i did not like them because they were jerks to everyone I hope they figure it out. But at this point in time, they were assholes. And like they were brothers and the little brother is like giving my little buddy all these dirty looks. And he goes to his big brother. He goes, I don't like that. He's doing that. You tell him to stop. And I look at them. I was like, you leave him alone. Worry about yourself. You're an asshole. I did not call him an asshole. But I was like, you have enough things to worry about, friend. You're bullying every kid in here. You are not coming after my little baby. Okay. Like he's fine. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> That's funny. So besides her disciplined upbringing, on the reverse side of that, she would she was also like partially raised by her father's parents, so her paternal grandparents, and they taught her fairy tales and stories and like Swedish history and like all of this stuff. So her imagination was also nurtured by like the legends and stuff of her homeland. Um which, if you don't know a lot about Sweden, there was, like, they had the Vikings, they had a ton of historical battles, and their lore is very much filled with, um, like, very powerful, like, mythology and, um, like, very strong literary traditions. So she grew up on that as well. That's amazing. She's right. having an amazing childhood. I know, right? <laughs> um, some people say that because she grew up plain and lame that um some of her later stories kind of developed because of the fact that she you know she was that so like a lot of her stories that deal with like traveling and getting out there and seeing the world was kind of like a A common theme a common theme and it was kind of like a way for her to compensate for having this disability and this fantasy that she could live in you know yeah she she's fine are you talking about writings yeah later on she she writes later on in life 
Yeah, she she's living her fantasies through her writing. She that's the way she's expressing exactly. herself. Good for her. So at in Sweden at this time, most upper class children were um, schooled at home because um, the standard education system as we know it didn't exist at the time. Um, or at least wasn't fully developed yet. So a teacher came to the Marbaka there, oh. um, and taught, you know, they had six children. Jesus. So taught the six children education in English as well as French. This is in Sweden. Jesus Christ, So they Sweden. taught them in English and French. And then I'm sure, like, because they're growing up in a Swedish home, they're also learning Swedish. That That's just like... They don't even need to teach Swedish because it's like, no, no you're just picking up at home. I mean, it's kind of like how I had a friend that was Polish growing up. And like, so, you know, obviously she went to an English school. She lives in America. But yeah, at home, they would still speak Polish. Yeah. Like primarily Polish, which was not fun for me when I went over there because they would talk in Polish. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're saying. You could be talking shit about me and I would have no fucking idea. Yeah. Because like there are some languages where at a certain point you can pick up certain things. Like whenever right. people talk in Spanish on TV, they're... I'm At not, a certain I point, don't know. you know bits and pieces. There are of certain it. things where I'm like, oh shit, did they just say that? You know, but right. Polish, I have, I have. N- it's embarrassing because my mother's 100 percent Polish. I'm 50 percent Polish. Emily, my, gra- my great grandparents are Polish immigrants. I call but- my drunk self disappointed. <laughs> this is this is the line that I don't know Polish, but like I have no concept of like what certain words may even sound like. Stop pushing the wine towards me, you fucking enabler. It worked. We're but going I'm gonna for do- a walk after. I'm gonna get that sweet pour sound. Oh, yeah, that was good. Yeah, you guys wish you were here. I poured too much. I was trying to, like, get the sound. I would be like, give me more, but I'm like... I may have no, to get the funnel and put some back We in. have it. <laughs> We've done that before. Okay, so, yeah, the, the education system wasn't fully developed, but she was learning English and French and, I assume, Swedish. Um, she finished reading her first novel at the age of seven. I don't remember when I f- finished reading my first novel. Like, I love reading... But I'm still pretty sure it wasn't at the age of seven. Well, and I'm also Maybe assuming it was like ten. This was not like some magic tree house shit where it was age appropriate. I She's reading adult literature. The magic tree house, dude. Magic Just tree saying. house is the shit, and that needs to keep going forever. Right. I want to find like a box set of it for my nieces and nephews. Man, I act actually. Uh, I might I be going to, to Jared's second cousin. Anyway, Jared's little relative's birthday. Yeah. And uh, he's he. If we were kids at the same time, we'd be best friends because he's into the Titanic. He's into history. He's into war. He's into dinosaurs. Like he's my favorite kid because he's such a cool little dude. That's and amazing. I now I kind of want to give him the Magic Treehouse books, but he's pretty into reading. I'm like that might be like too basic for right. him. I don't know. He's been into those I Survive. See, books. like at least if I give it to like my. Nieces and nephews, there there's three of them. I was gonna say those will get so, like, like three generations of reading. Yeah, I, I might have to check if they yeah. have because like, the first one's about dinosaurs, and they get into the Titanic later and Pompeii. I, the only book that ever went like missing from the library when I rented it was a Magic Treehouse book because I legitimately lost it, not just because <laughs> I was like hoarding it. Mine, but precious, yeah. precious. Actually, yeah, the Magic Treehouse was called, the first one was number one, Dinosaurs yeah. Before Dark. 
Yep. And then it was the knights. Yep. And then it was the mummies. The mummies. And, yep. then and then the pirates. And the then pirates. ninjas. And then the Amazon. I used to have the order memorized. Like I could recite all of the different topics up until like. That's funny. Yeah. It was. And so anyway, she's not reading the Magic Treehouse. She's reading like Shakespeare. Novel. and Peace. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I know. We're. It, the more wine I drink, the more off topic I get. All right. Where was I? Um. So she read the novel Osceola by Thomas Maine Reed. Never heard of it. We're just going to assume it's a, you know, intense Isn't novel. Isn't that a county in, like, nearby? Yeah, uh, Wisconsin. Ah, that's it. it. I don't know if it's a county. It's a town. Okay. It's a city. No, it's a town. Um, it's a collection of buildings. So after completing that novel, there's actually a waterfall in Osceola. Um <laughs> There's just cheese everywhere. Sub, subset. <laughs> um, after completing the novel, she decided that she was going to become an author when she grew up. I At love Seven her. years old. It is decided. Yeah. She's like, nope, I'm done. Um, so at the age of 10 in 1868, she completed reading the Bible. Jesus Christ. She read the Bible cover <laughs> to cover because at the time her father was vi- was sick. He was like super sick. And she was like, if I read the cover, the cover. If I read the Bible cover to cover, God will heal my father. Oh, my God. She's 10. She is precious and she is anxious. You know, That's so an she, anxious she was brain like, I, I can do this. Her father lived for another 17 years. Jesus Christ. Again, sorry. In a um, So because of this, she, she obviously became very used to the langu- language of scripture. At a very early age, 10. She read the Bible cover to cover at... 10. Now she knows Latin. Yeah, right. <laughs> She's um, picked it up, figured it out. <laughs> so, yeah. So she had, she started writing poetry as a child, you know, got really into it. Didn't publish anything or anything because she was a kid. Um, in 1880, she left the family estate um, to pursue higher learning at the Royal Women's Superior Training Academy, which is a great name for a school. As opposed to the subpar training yeah, right. academy or the meh. Training Man, Academy. Or just the Royal Women's Training Academy. No, this is that the was, superior one. That was actually the worst one. They wouldn't even describe it. Right, exactly. <laughs> so this is in Stockholm, which is the capital of Sweden. Um, Shout she, out Stockholm. Whoop, whoop. We love you guys and your syndromes. I really want to go to Stockholm someday. I want to see that bank where they get Stockholm. Sy- That's where uh, Stockholm Syndrome came from. These guys robbed a bank, held these hostages in the back, and the hostages were scared that the cops were just going to bust in and get everyone killed. Yeah. And the the uh, bank robbers were actually being, like, really chill, I guess. Not supporting them. Fuck those guys. But that's where Stockholm Syndrome re- first got the name and, like, was recognized that's as a condition. That's yeah. actually really neat. Okay. So, um, so she graduated as a teacher in 1882 and worked for several years at a girls' school in the coastal city of Londroscona. That was beautiful. I know. Um, so in eight, but in 1884, her father sold Marbaca because obviously he was ill for a while. He couldn't work, couldn't keep up. Owning she should have just read the Bible estate. again, yeah, right? <laughs> Give him another um, seventeen. And that years. had that had serious impact on her development because you know that was her home. And suddenly, like she, even though she wasn't really living at home, it was gone. I get that. Um, it was said that after his sickness, her father was an alcoholic. But she did not talk about it at all. Okay. 
Um, however, she did talk about the fact that her father did not want her to continue her education. No. And didn't want her involved in the women's rights movement. No. So that's sad. Did yeah. she do it anyway? Yes. Okay, good. I, I thought she was going to be like, well, God, he's dead. Like, now I super have to, like, obey right. his and wishes. And she actually went back and bought Marbaca later. Oh, good life, for her. And lived there. So that was cool. Um, so she, and then to she, my house. Right, Baby, exactly. take control now. So um, through her studies at the Royal Women's Superior Training Academy, she, you know, she really reacted against the realism that was going on in Sweden at the time in the, in the writing in particular. Like that was very much, you know, you see art where they have like realism and pixelism and whatever else. Um, so during this time, Sweden was having a very like real like straightforward like this is our literature type. there's no there's no fantasy there's not a lot of imagination it's just like this is the world look at it exactly for better or for worse she, look at it she wasn't a fan of that because she saw the world she she had a yeah. real childhood and she's like yeah, no right. fuck that it sucked <laughs> right um so she began her first novel called gosta burling saga um while she was still working as a teacher um, she submitted the first chapters to a literary contest um, and won a publishing contract for her whole book. Holy shit! So that's super exciting. Go Selma! Um, so the story of Gosta Burling was an account of the adventures of 12 cavaliers, young, uh, young, led by a young and charming pastor, Gosta Burling, that was the pastor, set in Varmland, which is where she grew up in the 1830s. So, she, you know, she's kind of drawing from her own thing. Valid. Um, her, the novel was published in 1891, but it wasn't until 1893 that it really became like celebrated. And she wrote in a much more romantic style. So this novel was kind of almost heralded as uh, a revival of s- Swedish romantic literature. Yeah, people were awesome. sick of looking at the harsh reality of their lives. Like, we want something that makes us not right. feel like shit all the time. But yeah, the reason it wasn't recognized until almost two years later is because two years later, when it was translated into Danish, it received a lot of positive um, criticism from a very big Danish literary critic named Georges Brandes. Um. And then, like, once he reviewed it, everyone was like, oh, oh, shit. Like, oh, he was you know. uh, he was an influencer. Exactly. Cool, cool, uh, cool. Side note that I still included. Um, remember Greta Garbo? Yeah. Um, the uh, the photographer. Yeah. Right? No, no, no. The actress. She was an actress. Sorry. Yeah. I'm thinking uh, it was. Gerda. Yeah. Gerda, the other one. Yeah. Um, so Greta starred in a film of the story of Gosta Burling in 1924. So that was a sub note in my and notes. And Greta Garbo, she was like, big. She, she was a huge star. She was also bi, wasn't she? Yep. I think we covered her last year. We did not cover her because she's kind no, of but a big we, deal. We know we covered her. like eight of the women she slept, she slept with. with. Yeah, exactly. She, we there was a there was a chart that we published or that we posted yeah, yeah, where it was like many. showing all yeah, of the was, connections like, the 19, of the famous women, nineteen twenties, like yeah, like golden women age of that Hollywood. slept with each other. It was and like, dude, everyone was, was so fucking funny. everyone. It's amazing. It was, yeah, it was yeah good. and Greta Garbo was fucking everyone because she's a sexually liberated lady, right? In 1894, um, Selma met the Swedish writer Sophie Elkin, who became her best friend and companion, which in this story, companion means lover, wife, whatever. I don't know if they ever actually got married, but... You know, the more stories we do like this, the more 
sensitive I become to that kind of language. Oh, like when so we were, mad. when we did the uh, Ear Floss podcast where we covered Billie Holiday, which guys, if you haven't listened to it, please that do. It's amazing. Episode. There, There was a bit in there where it was like, I don't even remember what the language was, but it was this like, oh, in her memoir, you know, danced around some of her feminine relationships. I was like, oh shit, I know what that means. <laughs> right. I know. It's like, um, no. Yeah, but the resources I was using never explicitly touched on Billie Holiday being bi. I had to look for like specifically LGBTQ plus publications and websites that talked about it. I know it's ridiculous. Like I, fucking I hate a. That. It makes me so mad. Yeah, I'm like guys, guys. Yeah. Anyways, so she met her lover. Uh, they were together for many, many years, and they would because they were both writers. They would critique each other's work. Um, and Selma actually admitted in her autobiography later in life that Sophie strongly influenced her work. And even though they would disagree quite often, um, Selma would always want Sophie's intake on her books. Like, Aww. regardless. Um, they wrote um, quite a few letters to each other. Like, that's what they would do, like, thousands that's what happens when writers they were together from 1894 until 1921 when sophie died holy shit yeah holy shit so they wrote thousands of letters to each other i love you say quite a few i'm like what is quite a few like a million half a mil um in one of these um selma tells this is what she writes to sophie quote I have you with me everywhere, see you and hear you and live with you. Once I can't do that anymore, I will long for you. In any case, I can't thank you enough for these past days. End quote. She's a loving literary lesbian, yeah. and I love her. Like she, They were very clearly like deeply in love with each other. And um, Selma's letters to Sophie were actually eventually published <gasps> Yay! in 1993. Oh, my God. I'm going to try and pronounce Swedish here. This is a bad idea. Buckle it, up. So it's titled, Du lar mig bli free, or You Teach Me to Be Free. Oh, I want to yeah. give her a hug. I really want to like. I wonder. I, I want to see if there's an English translation of that because that sounds like it would be really sweet. Yeah, I love reading love letters. I found my parents' letters to each other years ago, Aww. and I I definitely crossed a boundary because I took them all and I started to type them out. Because they, were, I mean, they were all handwritten. I was going to give them to them, and then my parents found out, and they were like, "What the fuck are you doing?" I'm like, "I thought I'd be cute," and they're like, "Stop it!" <laughs> they're like, "There are things in those letters you don't want to read." They were child. pissed. They didn't want me to see their old school sexting. Like, cute, though. <laughs> yeah, they were, but it was cute because it was just kind of like some of the mundane. Like, "Oh, how are you doing? This was my week," right. you know. And that—that's what love is. It's not always the fiery, flowery passion. Right. It's like, man, I had a really tough week, and uh, you know, thank you for listening. Me right. share I've about been thinking it. about you. No, yeah. No, no, no. yeah, I saw a tree cute. and it looked like you, and I laughed. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. You know, and so I'm sending I'm a little te- bottle of moisturizer because that tree looked you like that you. Randomly, I'm gonna be like, I saw a tree today and it looked like you. I'm gonna send you a rando picture of a tree and be like, thinking of you. Yeah. <laughs> That's gonna be how we express love now. Right, just pictures exactly. of trees, thinking of you. So a few years after she met. Sophie and a few years after she published her first book, she published her second book, which was called The Invisible Links, which was a collection of short stories, which was much more, much more <laughs> quick to gain success, probably because she already had success. You yeah, know. she was a name. Um, and by 1895, she gave up teaching altogether to um, devote herself to writing. Ooh. 
And with the proceeds from her first book and a scholarship and a grant that she won, she made two journeys um, to get material for her next book. First, with Sophie, she traveled to Italy and then to Palestine and other parts of the Middle East. Um, because in Ital- first in Italy, a legend of the Christ child figure had been replaced with a false version. What? This what says. It says, in Italy, a legend of a Christ child that had been replaced with a false version inspired her novel... The Miracles of the Antichrist. Oh, shit. So it was just like a, a section in Italy that there was like a, a warped version of the Christ child, basically. Okay. And it inspired a novel, which is fine. Oh, I'm sorry. What was that? The the Miracles of the Antichrist. The Miracles of the Antichrist. That is metal as hell. Right. So she wrote after she traveled to Italy and Palestine. That's what she wrote. Um, in 1897, she moved to Fallen um, and met a man named Valborg Olander which is a great last name. Mm-hmm. Um, and he became her literary assistant and close friend. However, Sophie got very jealous and, you know, it was so it kind of complicated both relationships. Okay. Uh, actually, Olander, I think, was a man or a woman. I don't know. I don't know. I was going to say, it makes more sense if... It doesn't say, but the woman. next sentence says, Olander, who was also a teacher, was active in the growing women's suffrage movement in Sweden. But I just realized my source never said if it was a man or a woman. You know what? I, I'm imagining in... What, what was the name? Valborg or Olander. See, that sounds very masculine to yeah, me, but I bet in Swedish that's like Sally, like right. a super feminine name. <laughs> um. At this time, Selma was also very active in the women's suffrage movement, despite her father not wanting her to be. Just saying. Oh, fuck that dude. Um, He's dead. (laughs) She also became a a speaker at the National Association for Women's Suffrage. um, And that, you know, gave her great respect, which was great. Um, But it was also good for the organization because it brought in, you know, people that would read her books and be like, oh. You know, I read her book. Her book was really good. What is she speaking out against? She had a you following know? outside of the women's suffrage movement. So it was movement. mutually beneficial. That's cool. She actually even went on to spoke at the International Suffrage Congress in Stockholm in June 1911, um, where she actually gave the opening address. And then she also um, spoke at the Victory Party of Swedish Suffrage um, in May 1919 when it had been granted. Nice. So that was awesome. In so backtracking a little because I kind of skipped ahead. Um, she also in she visited an American colony colony in Jerusalem in 1900. America had a colony in Jerusalem. Yep. God, I don't know history. I was, you know what they they omitted that little factoid right. to tell me Columbus discovered America, which was a fucking lie. Right, exactly. Which is why we tore his statue down. And by we, I don't mean me. I mean people better than me. <laughs> yeah. Because fuck um, that shit. What is that doing in Minnesota? Exactly. We are nowhere near the right. coast. The royal family and the Swedish Academy actually gave her financial s- support to go to Jerusalem to write another book, which is awesome. Nice. Um, and in Jerusalem, she the critics started really liking her, and they actually began comparing her to Homer and Shakespeare. Whoa! And at this time, she became a popular figure both in Sweden and abroad, even though I've never heard of her, which is sad. Um, from there, she wrote another book, and even not, even this, you know, in their fourth or fifth book, 
She remains lyrical, imaginative, and a very romantic in style. Um, she tended to bar- borrow often from fairy tales as well as her real life travels. So she would create a fictional world that was very familiar to our own. Yeah. And, you know, so it's almost a comfort Relatable. to the readers, kind of. Yeah. So um, the, the novel that she wrote when she went to Jerusalem is actually set in Sicily, which is interesting. And the novel explores the interplay between Christian and socialist moral systems. Damn, she's tackling some heavy stuff. Antichrist, right. Christianity, really well. and socialism. Right. In 1902, Selma was asked by the National Teachers Association to write a geography book for children, which is nice. Okay. Like, clearly, <laughs> I mean, they. I guess know, she's traveling fucking everywhere. Right. Okay. So she wrote The Wonderful Adventure of Niles or Niles Huggerson's. Oh, jeez. Hulgerson's? Was he a teddy no, Hul- bear? Hulgerson's. Oh, Hulgerson. Underbara Reza Genome Sverge. Holy which shit. Transfers to the. I'm sure that was terrible. But trans- translates to the wonderful adventure of Niles or Niles. Don't know. It's N I L S, so I'm going with Niles. It's Niles because that's how Fraser says exactly. it. Exactly. Um, so this was a novel about a boy that lived in the southernmost most part of Sweden. Sweden, 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 um, who got shrunk to the size of a thumb and then traveled on the back of a goose across Sweden. Yeah. And then he was kidnapped by some super rapey frogs. No, and then there was a rapey beetle in there. But the prince was hot. <laughs> um, she intermixed a good play of historical and geographical Geo- geographical. geographical astronomical yes. okay, let's not go back <laughs> so she did a good mix of historical and ge- geog- geographical Jeez. here's Facts. the thing say, say, say it right once geographical okay I'm just going to splice that in good. Um, about the provinces of Sweden along with the, the boy's adventures until he managed to return home and get returned to his normal size so along with this historical and geographical facts the boy also learned some lessons. He at the beginning of the story, he was lazy and disrespectful of people, and then throughout his journey, Niles changes for the better and learns to respect not only people but nature. Aww. You know. So not only did she write this geography book that they wanted, you know, she's like, "I'll I'm going to throw in some moral, yeah, moral high some ground like in virtue, here too. virtuous stories, right." The novel's success was beyond what she thought it would be because, you know, she was like, oh, a teacher student asked me to, you know, a teacher's union asked me to write a geography book. Sounds like the most boring fucking shit in the, on the face of the planet. But it won her global recognition as a children's author. It wow. was translated into 30 languages. Holy shit. It was later adapted for television. What? Into anime. and was what? And was broadcasted internationally. Shut the fuck up. I just screamed so, into my yeah. mic. I'm so sorry. But when you said little, anime. A little peaky. What anime is that? I have no idea. I want to watch it. I would assume it. it's probably under the same title. Okay. I'm going to look this up. You do your thing. Um... In 1909, Selma won the Nobel Prize, quote, in appreciation of the lofty idealisms, vivid imagination, and spiritual perception that characterize her writings, end quote. Oh, that's amazing. So, if you didn't get that, she won the Nobel Prize for literature. She was the first woman and the first Swedish person and probably the first lesbian person to win the Nobel Prize. 
You I'm, found the animation. I, I'm so sorry. I'm like trying to be amazed with these fucking pictures. Oh my god. There's also it looks like there's a re okay. There is a TV series that ran from 2017 to question mark, so it may still oh be god. on. We might have to watch Niles that. Holgerson. Look at this fucking shit. He is riding a goose. And it is too yeah, much. We're gonna have to watch that. Oh my god, he looks like a like a tiny Kristoff. Yeah, like from Swedish, Frozen. Tiny Swedish version. Yeah. Oh my god, there's a live action look. The gooseneck looks like his dick. <laughs> yeah, that's bad. Jesus Christ! Oh my god. Should have had him standing like next to the goose. This is everything I've ever needed. Yeah, um, yeah. In the recent version, instead of wearing like overalls, he's wearing like baggy shorts and oh like God. a little red knit cap, like trying to look hip that's, instead of like a full on stocking. It's that's fucking. Cute. This is a mess. Um, there are toys. Jesus Christ! You can buy the whole toy set on eBay for two hundred thirty nine ninety nine. <laughs> I know what I'm getting you for Christmas. Jesus um, Christ. No, um, apparently the decision for her to win the Nobel Prize in Literature, though, was preceded by a very big struggle within the Swedish Academy, which apparently the Swedish Academy is the body that awards the Nobel Prize in Literature particularly, which is interesting. Oh, like for everyone. They're not just like the the Swedish guys. Um, Okay. So, yeah, I don't know if she knew that or not, but during her acceptance speech, she was very humble and told the story about her father as if she visited Aww. him in heaven, which is really cute. Oh, my God. Now I'm going to cry. Um, in the, look at the goose In again. the story, she asks her father for the help with the debt she owes, and her father explains that the debt is from all the people who supported her throughout her career, which mm. is sweet. So I'm sorry. I was freaking out about some the goose. Yeah. Did you say she was the first Swedish woman or the to first, win first woman first woman to win first the Nobel Swedish Prize person? And I I assume the first lesbian because she was the first woman. Yeah, yeah, so, that's kind of a li- Nobel Prize in literature, particularly. That is crazy. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. You know what's cool about this? So especially during Pride, a lot of the women we cover have accomplished first for uh the LGBTQ plus community. You know, the yeah, first no, lesbian, the first like, trans person. First woman, first Swedish person. And she's also a lesbian. You yeah, know, and she like al- is also a lesbian. Like what a what a cool milestone. Yeah, I thought so too. Um, and then in 1904, the Academy also awarded her its gold medal. It's great gold medal. Sorry. It's specifically great said golden great medal. gold medal. I have no idea what that is, but I included it in here. Um, and then in 1914, she actually became a member of the Academy. Wow. That was helping give out the Nobel Prizes, which is awesome. Damn, Selma. Um, so as I said, for and so she was the first woman to also be honored to be an Academy member. So the first woman to join the Academy. Yeah, at least the Swedish Academy. That wow. is the literature prize. She's like, I'm going to sell my books and I'm going to get my gold and right. I'm going to join the Academy. Um, She was also really good friends with the German Jewish writer named Nellie Sachs. Okay, cool. Um, and shortly before she died, Selma intervened with the Sw- in and um, beseeched the Swedish royal family to secure the release of Sachs and Sachs's mother from Nazi Germany. She was oh able to God. get them on the last flight out of Germany to Sweden and ensured their lifelong asylum in Stockholm. Oh, my. So she's saving people from Nazis, yeah. too. Yep. At the end. Good. Toward the end of her life. God, Selma. 
Um, after she died, uh, she died on my birthday in 1940. Shut up! Yeah. Ni- Shut she, up! She died March 16, 1940. Oh my God. Yeah. That sucks. So like, wow. Um, ju- like what, 59 years to the day yeah. you were born? Yep. Well, you are a writer. I know. And it, just, uh, it all connects. You're very romantic. Um, but she had Marbaca, because remember I told you she bought it back yeah she actually bought it with the prize that she got from winning the nobel love it um but she had it transformed into a memorial estate um that that is open and does public guided visits where you can learn all about her and her lifetime of achievements i want to go there i know we should it'll be on our list we can learn how to say it yeah right (laughs) how do you actually pronounce we're just gonna ask them to repeat the name over and over and then say it back and they'll be like no 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 Marbaka. Marbaka? No, 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 no. Marbaka. I feel like that's what I'm saying. Am I getting trolled by Swedish people right now? <laughs> we probably would. Let's go get some meatballs. I'm pissed. Um, so, A, uh, E. <laughs> A, E, I, O, um, U. I don't remember the word. Legacy. That's Legacy. the word I'm looking for. Legacy. Legacy. Um, so, some of these happened while she was alive, but I just put them in the leg- Legacy section. Um, in 1991, which was the year I was born. Oh, shit. Um, she became the first woman to be depicted on the Swedish banknote. Oh, my God. Girls on money. So not only that, um, this was the first time a 20 kroner was released and she was the person on it. Oh, my God. Yep. I want to. OK, you know how we have our herstory stamp collection? Yeah. I want a herstory money collection because Viola Desmond, who I covered, right. is on money. Um, isn't Sorwana on money? I think she is. Or she and, was. I don't know if she still is. But Selma's on money. Like I, I wanna get a right. get a cork board and just pin yeah, up we'll all my put herstory it up on cash. Our, right, like right below our shelf. Yeah. Um speaking of herstory stamps, in nineteen fifty nine she was on the postage stamp, not of Sweden, of the Soviet Union. What? Yeah. I like, I'm not saying that's bad, but why? <laughs> I don't know, but she has a postage stamp in the Soviet They ran out of night witches. Right. And they're like, the Selma chick sounds um, In 1907, she received the best degree ever, and I kind of just want to go and get it, even though I, it would take forever. She received a degree of Doctor of Letters from Uppsala University. I want to be a doctor of letters. That sounds amazing. Doctor um, letters at your service. Right? Is there a doctor in the house? I'm a doctor of letters. Sit down. This man's having a heart attack. <laughs> okay. Write about it though. Yeah, right. <laughs> in 1928, she received an honorary doctorate from the University of Griefswald Faculty of Art at the start of World War II, which this is amazing. At the start of World War II, she sent her Nobel Prize medal and the gold medal that she got from the Swedish Academy to the government of Finland to help raise money to fight the Soviet Union. Oh my God! And then we're gonna and then, and then we're gonna backtrack and remember that the Soviet Union gave her a stamp. Okay, so maybe they were like, "Later, sorry, you Later. gave yeah, up exactly, your medal right. to fight us," because then we were like, "Ooh, fuck um, the Nazis." The f- no, the Finnish government was so touched. That it raised the necessary money by other means and returned her medals to her. Aww. Go Finland. Everyone fucking loves Selma and I love it. Um, She has two hotels named after her in Ostra Amtrvik in Soon. And then, as I said, Marbaka is a museum. One of her stories named The Rat Trap was included as a part of the, uh, of the Indian curriculum 
for the students of the class of 12 CBSE in their Flamingo textbook, which is kind of cute. Flamingo textbook. Yeah, that's okay. what it was called. Okay. But yeah, so that that is her life. And she was pretty amazing. Low that key. incredible. But amazing. Well, you know what? She was just like, a lot, some of the women we cover are like, very out there with their accomplishments like they're on the front lines they're shouting they're protesting they're fighting right. there you know but some some of the women we cover are just like amazing they're doing their thing they're doing it amazingly and right. i'm so glad selma got recognition during her lifetime it's not like oh she died and then we all realized how great she was no. but a little you know too late too sad too late, too sad. it reminds me of my dad always used to say too bad too so too bad too so bad, sad, so sad your dad your dad <laughs> he always had your dad i don't know what it meant but it rhymed so it was fine right well because he's your dad yeah his That's his funny. other thing was always uh if i like dad can we go look at the toy aisle he'd be like let's not pretend we did and i'm like no <laughs> i love your dad i do i love my dad so much well Emily. man damn selma yeah she she got shit done yeah what are you thankful for? Um, shit. I'm on top of this this time. Uh, I guess what I'm thankful for. So this has been kind of another tough week. It's. I feel like I'm always bitching about my week. Uh, but it's just been kind of like a string of. Just don't you fucking at me like that. <laughs> Kelly's over here with her fingers like touching, just like a just a little. You're getting bit. kind of a pain in the ass. No, um, I love you. But it's just been kind of a string of tough weeks. Jira's been having a hard time with his PTSD and with me working from home all the time. It's been a, a struggle. Um, I am thankful for two things. One, that when I was having a particularly difficult time, I was able to call my mom sobbing and she like calmed me down and talked me through it. So I'm thankful for that. Um, the other thing was uh, last weekend, I went to a local Black Lives Matters march in town and um, I destroyed my feet because I, I went with a friend yeah. and we basically met up at a local park and hiked around there for like an hour and then walked to the park where the march started and then yeah, marched to a different park that was downtown and then marched our asses all the way back to, you know, where our cars were. And by the end, I, I at one point I was like, if I just stand here and stop moving, will I magically get to my car? Because I am tired. I walked like 14K. Um, this isn't about me walking, though. It was um, I've never been to a march. I yeah. went to a, like a protest in college, but it's a it was a very different experience. Marches are very moving. It was it was really emotional. It was really great to see all these people getting out there and chanting. And well, like, plus they did when they got to the one park, they did a bunch of like speeches, didn't they? Yeah, then, there like, there were the a bunch of speakers. So uh, we marched to this park, and it was cool because like people driving by were honking and like doing the Black Lives Matter. So, like a lot of people who saw it were like, yeah, like no one was like fuck you or anything like that everyone was very supportive yeah, i feel like rochester um, is very i think we pro. try for I, the most part we're pro i mean we try our elections tend to sway a certain way that i'm not happy with but anyway we so we get to the park 
and uh, there were several speakers and it was it was really moving. Like I try to educate myself. I try to read a lot. I try to stay uh, open and aware to the issues as a white person. Like I'm never only so much I'm never going to fully understand, you know, like it, the anxiety I get if I get pulled over is nothing compared to right. what a black person will feel when they get pulled over. But uh, one of the speakers was a 17-year-old girl. Yeah, I read, I read about yeah. the protest because I wasn't able to go. And she she described growing up and, like, hating her blackness and how her brother would always choose white avatars in video games. Like, you know, playing Wii, you can design your... He'd always make his person white because he was very resentful of his dark skin because that's it's just drilled into you. And she had very loving, supportive parents. They lived in town, that you know... And she grew up here, and I was like, "You are seventeen, and like, I know Apparently this is still happening." Whole, that but whole Jesus, march was arranged by high school students. It was. It was. This was a youth organized event. Which is insane. They're all high schoolers, like juniors and seniors. Um, and so sh- sh- the seventeen-year-old girl in particular was like, "I shouldn't be here. We shouldn't be here. I should be off doing dumb shit with my friends." And there was a. A 60-year-old man, he was a Latino man, and he apologized. Yeah, he's like, I, read, I, I am, read his speech, and I, like, started tearing up. It's so sad because he's basically like, I was doing this when... Who was the banging? <laughs> it's Justin probably hanging your new closet shelves. Oh, that's right, because one shirt was too much, and it took down your whole closet. Oh, God, it was so bad, guys. Um, and, of course, Justin made the joke. Like, I know this is interrupting a very serious topic, but Justin made the joke because we have a deal that he does, like, the dishes, and I'll do the laundry, but he has to put his put away his own clothes. And so he was like, see, this is why I don't put away clothes, Kelly. And I'm like... God damn. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry. The shelf fell on you. But the, this gentleman was like, I was doing this, and, you know being an activist and marching and protesting when I was your age and I am so sorry that you have to pick up the yeah, torch was, I'm so sorry we're like, not I'm sorry further we're, along yeah we're still here yeah and it was really it was really enlightening and like I said I try to I try to read and uh stay open to black voices and what they're saying uh but hearing it from people in the community was really uh eye-opening and they also explained some of the things the things are going on like the the movement to defund the police and what that really means guys they're not saying we shouldn't have a police force right. we're saying that we should put more money into preventing Mental crime and, and social workers treating and... the treating the source of crime versus the symptoms well and the fact that all the calls the police take some of them shouldn't be the police. Yeah, they but that's absolutely who we should. put it on right now, and that's why yeah. we need mental health counselors and social workers, and you know, people that yeah, if if someone calls and they're like, hey, they're having a mental health crisis, we don't send the police. We send a mental health worker, and then we also need law enforcement who will take things seriously, like sexual assault. I saw this thing where someone's like, well, who are you going to call if you get raped? Well, they they don't do anything now. Yep. I so saw that too. Uh, <laughs> it was. Still not gonna call him, uh, but it was it was a really powerful experience. I'm really thankful my friend went with me because I've I, I was know, really I was upset anxious. That I couldn't go, and that's totally fine. I was really anxious because you know, obviously I'm white, I have privilege, and the last thing I wanted to do was feel like an interloper or feel like I was um, interceding. Like, or like in someone I, thought you were there just to like 
show. Yeah, you know, you know it's just, it's one of those things where I and it it was all my own anxiety. No one there made me feel unwelcome, and so I really encourage all of our white listeners: don't be afraid to go to a march. It's a really incredible or experience. Other colors. And you know, this Asians, is true. Other colors, um, but uh, don't be afraid to stand. Don't be afraid to get out there and make your voice heard because it can't just be black people fighting this fight. It has to be all of us. It has to be all of us. It affects all of us. Absolutely. You may not think it does. Absolutely. So, Kelly, what are you thankful for? I don't know. For? Like, I feel like I can't follow that up with anything. <laughs> this is why I ask you first. <laughs> yeah. See, each each order has its pros and right, cons. I know. Um, I'm going to say I'm really thankful for my friend Cassie because we've been trying, like, we d- we did a walk a few weeks ago and then um, last night she was like, hey, you know, if we want to hang out this week, this is the only time I can, like, you can, you know, we can, you know, hang out and, and it was really nice because I've been feeling just really disconnected in general and like, yeah, seeing Emily is great and that helps ground me, but like, outside of that, I haven't seen too many people because of the whole, you know, COVID thing. And guys, even I'm a little much. Like, and, well, no, and small it's just, doses. I'm not. I'm not good at like reaching out to people I never have been, and so I've been like trying to work on that. And like, you know, now I'm like, hey, we should video chat and blah blah blah. Like, because I kind of forget the fact that we can do that, and it's like a thing. So I've been like trying to do that, but yeah, like going out and like seeing someone, and like for me, since I'm on furlough, like getting out of the house and you know, like just having time with another adult. I mean, it was her and her kids, which is fine, you know, but. It was, other it was really nice like and she didn't even know household. i really needed that and so it was it was nice I so love, i'm thankful for her i love when friends are there for you when you need it most the way you need it most without knowing and this isn't to like put pressure on anyone like no. you're just supposed to know what i want but we all have those stories where it's like man i didn't know this is exactly what i needed right. well, i needed nice it because so it's like, bad. i always know that i have fridays to look forward to Aww. so like that was kind of like a bonus like extra thing yeah. to help keep me grounded i love you i love you too i'm glad you got to get out and see adults good yeah i'm glad you did too i did yeah no it was really good seeing my friend who went to the the march with me she's she's a, a fucking phenomenal person yeah, she is so love her all right well thank you so much for listening to another episode of whining about herstory uh please like us on facebook at whining about herstory instagram wah pod twitter at wah underscore pod our website is whining about herstory.com and our email is whining about herstory at gmail.com please email us we'd love to hear from you your say their names or if you have suggestions for us although we'll take suggestions on any platform it doesn't have to be email they come in they come at us from all directions and we love right. it we also have a patreon if you just search whining about herstory you can donate for as little as one dollar to keep the wine flowing and if you want one of our stellar handmade at least the etching is handmade we did not make the glasses whining about herstory wine glasses you can donate at the ten dollar level and we'll just send you one well ten dollars for two months ten dollars for two months yeah because it does take some time and i do have to buy the wine glasses and then we have to ship it to you and we also have to make sure that you're committed to us okay we're not putting out after the first month all right Right. we make you work for it Either way then, is fine, but this is what we're you know, doing. As we get more Patreons, we will, you know, we would like to expand, you know, maybe T-shirts or s- more stickers other than just our logo. Pins. So 
Yeah. You know, a whole bunch of stuff. Shot glasses, Ooh, anal nice. beads, maybe butt not plugs, that one. Dildos. Yes, I'm okay with that. Seven vibration settings, and you can feel so empowered. Empower that pussy. That's what we would pull. Or we would that put that empowered women, empower women. <laughs> On the dildo. Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, make this happen. I'm going to set that as our new Patreon goal. We get 100 patrons. We're going <laughs> to make a dildo that says empowered women. We're just going to make one. Women. We're just going to make one. And our 100th one really patron is, it's going to be like the Great American Challenge. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be beautiful. Except it's only going to be 70% of the size because women make 70 cents on the dollar to men. So... It's a statement and a sex toy. <laughs> it's a sex statement. Yeah, there you go. All right. Also, please rate us five stars wherever you listen. It really five helps stars. people find us. It costs you nothing, and it can make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside. And it makes us feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Yeah, I actually go back and read our positive yeah, reviews when wonderful. I need a boost, which is becoming more I actually frequent. go back and read our one one-star review, too, because it makes me laugh. I laugh so hard. I, I really hope that person is still listening. Yes. I really hope you are. Guys, too. go check our iTunes to see our only one-star review if you want to laugh. <laughs> I, I and here's the thing. I'm so sorry if two yeah, well, yeah, chicks no, like, getting really drunk sorry. talking about women's history came off as an academic lecture. I don't know how, but that's not what this is. I just I, I sometimes wonder if it was one of like a different like history podcast creator because we are part of some groups of history podcasts, and I'm yeah. pretty sure some of them are like legit serious history podcasts very so I'm like yeah part of me wonders if they did it anonymously because it's one of them and they just like didn't want to be mean <laughs> well then don't fucking review us yeah, even the pugs are pissed they are scratching know, right? at that door like fuck you. Like, let us in let us say our let us say our say yes let us snuffle into the mics they're pretty cute all right. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day and stay proud, bitches. Bye. Bye.